Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. If we haven't met, my name is Bobby, and I serve the Commons community as one of the pastors on the team, and it really is one of the joys and honors of my life to do so. Uh, Earlier this summer, I led a responsive reading over in Kensington, affirming God as the source of all good. And after the prayer, one of our connection team volunteers asked me where she could find a copy. So I told her that we post all of our liturgy on the Commons Church liturgy blog. And I kid you not, she was so excited about this news, I think she like clapped with glee. And it's even more meaningful because this person is actually moving away from Calgary this summer. So for her, knowing that she can, as she says, take a little bit more of commons with her was such good news. Now, it is again one of the joys that I have with my job to write many of the prayers or some of the prayers and the readings that we do in this community. So I wanted to highlight it for you and you too can take some of these prayers with you into your week or even share them with friends. I know that's been really meaningful for some of you. And again, you can find all of our liturgy, the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray at commons.church slash liturgy. Cool. Great. (laughs) Now back to our summer on the Psalms series. We have covered actually a lot of territory so far. We've explored Psalm 13, where we highlighted Psalms as super honest expressions that actually leave nothing out. And Psalm 1, where we were urged to start small by embracing the good and the beautiful, knowing little choices add up to a great big life. And Psalm 26, where we were drawn into the images of Hebrew poetry to sense the dedication of people who have prayed these prayers for centuries. And Psalm 14, where we looked at our lostness and found the fear that undergirds it, but then moved onto the next line to be comforted by the presence of God at work ahead of us in our stories. So today, we are looking at Psalm 32, where the poet digs deep into matters of the heart, and I am calling this psalm blessed, or this sermon, blessed is the one who blurts it all out. And we are talking about confession as unembellished truth-telling. So let's pray together and then work our way through Psalm 32. Please join me in prayer. Our loving God, today we plunge into the waters of this honest psalm and we swim with the blessing that's there. We also feel the ache of brokenness and we, in a sense, haul ourselves up on this dock of forgiveness. This is where you interrupt all of our violence with your grace. So thank you for the journey of the Psalms. They are so real and so beautiful and so layered. God, if we are in need of refreshment today, oh creator, won't you refresh us? And if we are in need of support today, oh Jesus, won't you journey with us? And if we are in need of some healing today, oh spirit, won't you weave your wellness into our lives. May our inner world and our relationships and our participation in creation all be places where you transform us for our good. 
Amen. It's quiet in here. <laughs> As many of you know, or actually maybe some of you don't know this about me, but I am a very proud auntie. So hello, it's me, Auntie Bobby. And Liz Gilbert calls those of us who choose not to have children, but who love hard on the children in our lives, the anti-brigade. And I love this so much. So a couple of weeks ago, I visited my new two-month-old nephew, Drew, along with his big sister, Emery. Want to see some pictures? You do. Right? Oh. So the visit was full of so many sweet little moments, like picking raspberries in the backyard with Emery and holding baby Drew, which you may notice I'm actually not a natural at, like <laughs> propping up his little head with my thumb or something. I don't know. I also had a little dance party in the kitchen with Emery, so many sweet little things. And one of the things that I'm still laughing about is this moment where Dave, my sister's partner, told us a little story. And it includes a song that Emery sung to him a few weeks ago. So the two of them were just out on the driveway, like scooting around on their little scooters in circles, very on brand with the scooters in our city right now. And Emery started singing this little made up song and I kind of can't believe I'm going to say it in front of you all. It goes like this. When you leak out your butt, call your dad. Which kills me and is basically like everything I want to say about confession, so I'm just going to sit down. Just kidding. I'm not sitting down. But I mean, she's kind of right. In her little like three, almost four-year-old life, this is full wisdom right here. Sometimes you have a little accident and you just need to call your dad. And Eugene Peterson calls the biblical wisdom tradition the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves in. And that's a bit of what Psalm 32 is up to, it's a wisdom psalm. And it's all about the wisdom of coming clean for the good of your own soul and for the good of your community, which is a different kind of coming clean than Emery was on about, but critical, all the same. So let's get to the psalm. We begin with blessing. And it's not the kind of one-off blessing that you might associate with the word, like the blessing before a meal, or the blessing of a bonus at work, or the blessing of just a sweet, sweet parking spot when you pull up at church. No, this is the state of blessing. Psalm 32 begins with the contemplation of a double beatitude, all about what it feels like to live forgiven. So blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. And I love the confidence in these two verses. Notice that the speaker of the psalm says, yeah, I am forgiven, yes. I know that my sin is covered. And the grammar here is two passive verbs that make the speaker the object of forgiveness. And Hebrew scholar Robert Alter calls Psalm 32 a confession in the present tense. And what this means is that forgiveness is a completed action. 
And when the Apostle Paul uses these two verses in Romans 4, Paul makes a point about belonging, and his point is that you can't actually get to belonging on your own. You get there because it is God's gift to you. Forgiveness is the ground of your new life. So you aren't defined by your shame or by any horrific memory or by your doubt. And in that light, what if the first truth that you tell yourself on your way to coming clean and confessing is this one. Not that you're so, so bad, but that you are incredibly blessed. The psalmist has this preference for the affection of God, trusting that coming clean after a slip up is the blessed way to live. Now, how often do you take an inventory of your sin? Honestly, I don't stare at my sin a lot. I think many of us are just trying our very best and we're doing okay. We're not really into being really hard on ourselves about little mess ups. We learn from them and we move on. But also, if we do have big mistakes that we need to face, we're pretty good at distracting ourselves and justifying our reasons for the pain that we might cause. So what does it look like to fully attend to our sin? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was working on my new podcast, that's right everybody, coming this fall, Commons will have a new podcast called Between Sundays for your listening ears, hosted by yours truly. And Between Sundays is all about finding the sacred in the everyday, so get pumped. So I was working on the new podcast where I'm in conversation with people, at least for season one, who are living very actively in creative spaces. And Emmanuel Simon was my guest, also known as Oliver Throne in local poetry and rap circles. And Emmanuel said this thing before he read slash rapped a poem. When talking about where his creative ideas come from, he said, well, actually, I look at myself in the mirror a lot. And the mirror is for Emmanuel a place to know himself, to really see himself, not just the shape of his eyes or the braids in his hair, but a way for him to just look and to know himself as himself. And in his latest book, Richard Rohr likens looking in a mirror to the work of faith communities. And Rohr says, the true and essential work of all religion is to help us recognize and recover the divine image in everything. It is to mirror things correctly, deeply, and fully until all things know who they are. And I've been thinking about this idea of looking in a mirror a lot, because if I'm honest, I do this too. Not because of vanity, but as this way to access myself, to know myself. When I've been upset, I have watched myself cry. When I've been unsure, I've looked at my own face for some sort of help. I watch to see what emotions of sadness and anger look like in my countenance, but also in my body. But maybe there's so much more to this. Maybe 
in all of our faces, our personalities, our emotions, there is something of God there too. So the blessed way is to not look away. It's about seeing what's really there in your life, in your relationships, in our world. The goal is to know all these worlds as they really are and to see what is good and true there, but also what is marked and broken and to remember all within the reach of forgiveness. The goal is to not look away. And yes, sometimes really seeing will be hard work. In Psalm 32, we find an invitation to feel what we feel in our bodies, to let it all out. Otherwise, we keep our sin and our shame inside, resulting in a dishonest life. And that kind of life, a dishonest life, that will hurt like hell. Verse three and verse four. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's rough, right? There's this wasting away. There's this groaning all day long. Then what we have here is the psychosomatic condition of keeping our sin undercover, locking our shame inside of ourselves, stuffing our feelings like deep, deep down. And many of us are socialized to keep silent about what is really bothering us. We know either consciously or subconsciously that to speak up, to really like unleash our rage, to name our shame could cost us so much. But what the psalmist is saying is that not speaking up will cost so much too. And notice how disoriented the poet felt, both silent and groaning, all in the same stanza. And the phrases aren't meant to make sense. They're meant to convey contradiction. The closest the psalmist gets to making sense of all of this agony is to actually go further into the pain with these figures of speech. First, the silence about one's sin feels like the heavy hand of God upon him or her, and it's a Hebrew idiom that doesn't mean that God is the one doing the pressing down. It just feels that severe. And second, the strength being sapped by the silence about one's sin could be more accurately translated as the sensation of summer parchedness. And the feeling of desert parchedness is actually super helpful when we look at what sin even is here. If we expand the notion in the Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, we can affirm with our sisters and our brothers across the Christian tradition that all created things are intrinsically good. So what therefore is evil? What is sin? Well, evil and sin are the absence of the good. Julian of Norwich writes, I did not see sin, for I believe that it has no kind of substance, no share in being, nor can it be recognized except by the pain caused by it. 
And Orthodox Bishop Callistos Ware says that evil and sin are always parasitic, the twisting and the misappropriation of what is in itself good. And so Psalm 32 warns that sin stuffed down inside is parasitic too. Our mistakes, our abuses, our selfishness should be exposed and owned and accounted for. Otherwise, our sin, it eats us up. But we fear this kind of honesty, don't we? We delay, we put it off, we ignore it. But there is another way. Psalm 32 offers a model for hard truth telling, and it's called confession. Now, when I was a kid, I had to go to confession at my local Catholic parish as part of catechism. And I'm not against that. The lesson for a child to face the parts of herself that aren't kind, that aren't generous, that aren't truthful, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm afraid that's not actually what I took from the experience. Instead, I tried to give the priest an answer just to get out of the room as quickly as I could. So, in, so when he asked what my confession was, I said that I was, oh, I don't know, maybe mean to my sister or brother. Like what I didn't say is all of the time. And the priest told me to leave the room and to go and say a handful of our fathers and Hail Marys. Again, I'm not against that. But it was the end of that situation. And I think looking back, what I actually needed was some kind of new beginning like a way to tell the truth about the times in my life when I didn't feel like the very best Bobby or the times when I didn't trust something inside of myself and I got into trouble or the ways that kids can be so cruel and I could have learned some strength from being kind. That would have been a beautiful confession. Sometimes we really do need some coaching to find out how to get the truth out. So Psalm 32 verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So again, Psalm 32 verse five, the words for sin, we can see they really pile up. And one commentator calls the swift use of language the fullness of vocabulary. The psalmist does not want to hide anymore with three different words for living against the good, sin, iniquity, and transgression. The poet lays it all out there. Now, here's kind of a fun little connection. The Hebrew verb for confess is yada. Sounds a little bit familiar maybe to some of you. There is a pop culture phrase spread by the comedian Lenny Bruce and later Seinfeld, which goes yada, yada, yada. And George's girlfriend in an episode uses yada, yada, yada to skip over parts of her story, which introduces all kinds of Costanza crises. Now, to counter that, rather than skip over parts of the story with yada, 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 the Hebrew verb for confess literally means to throw and to cast. So when the poet acknowledges sin, the poet does not skip over parts. The poet blurts out his sin, names it three times, casts it outside of himself. 
Confession isn't meant to be tidy or truncated. Confession is messy, and I think it's more like oversharing. About a decade ago, I went through a season of big time oversharing. Does anybody know what I mean? Oh, yes, someone does, so that's nice. This is when you find yourself saying way too much in any given moment in interaction. So every friend that I'd hang out with would hear some version of the same story. And neighbors I would just bump into on the street would get an earful. And people I just met would get all kinds of top secret Bobby intel. And I'd always, always walk away from those situations thinking, Bobby, like, what did you just do there? You did not need to talk that much about that thing. But now I actually look back with more kindness on those moments of self-disclosure. Because I was coming to terms with a part of my story that I hadn't understood very well in the past, thanks to therapy. I was working on my healing. I was practicing the art of blurting it all out. And every person who stopped to listen was an incarnation of God's loving presence. They were curious and patient and without judgment. You may need to blurt out your sin, the very real things that you do that hurt you and hurt the ones that you love. You may need to blurt out the sin that was done to you, the very real things someone did that made you feel small and deeply wounded you. You may need to blurt something that maybe isn't quite sin, but it is painful and it happened to you and you aren't sure how to move on. Find someone who will listen and blurt it out. Confession does not have to be tidy to be beautiful and to be blessed. So tell your story once, twice, 300 times, and with each telling, may the grip of what hurts you loosen. I don't know if it will go away forever, but it will loosen, and you can heal a little bit at a time. So here's where confession leads the psalmist. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And I love this because the forgiveness of sins and the blessing of confession is not just meant for you. The psalmist turns from this divine encounter through confession and says, hey everybody, you can feel this free too. An encounter with God that frees you should always find you turning to free each other. God is found in our most truthful spaces where we are honest with ourselves and honest with others. So pray, implores the psalmist, pray. Maybe your prayer will sound like this. I really need to be honest with how I feel, so here I go. 
Or maybe your prayer will sound something like this. I don't want to hate myself, so God help me make some change here. Maybe your prayer will actually be wordless. A simple silence so that you can catch your breath and hear yourself think. A quiet space like that is prayerful too. And the word selah throughout the poem found in the footnotes of your Bible indicates the sacred pause where there's this shift, this transformation taking place. The language of floodwaters in the ancient world is a metaphor for chaos and danger. So it's when we get the chaos of sin out of our bodies that we know ourselves to be free. And that chaos, once ejected, doesn't come back in the same forceful way again. God surrounds you with songs so that you can know yourself as loved. And the final section of Psalm 32 highlights the wisdom nature of the psalm. Remember that the wisdom tradition is all about teaching others the art of living well, the blessing of the good life. So it reads, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they, will be, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in God. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. So who's the I in verse eight? Who teaches? Who gives counsel? Is it the psalmist or is it God? We don't actually know. And isn't that actually so good that the teacher could be either one, a wise elder who knows the way through confession and forgiveness or the very presence of the divine near enough to show us the way. The point is that you can take a difficult journey you can blurt out all kinds of messy confessions and you can know yourself as loved. This is the wise way, knowing that you aren't perfect, but that you always find a new beginning. Not because you earn it, but simply because all the world is made whole with love and that includes you too. I know it's hard to have a go at unembellished confession. But I came across the wisdom of a mystic in the last couple weeks that offers a lot of hope. Now, I love the words of mystics arranged kind of poetically on a page. I have a couple books in my library that do this beautifully. Daniel Ladinsky's book, Love Poems from God, along with Scott Cairns' Love's Immensity. You can check those out, they are beautiful. So I took the words of this mystic, Saint Isaac the Syrian, who lived in the seventh century, and I attempted to poetically arrange them on a note on my phone. So I'm gonna read them to you, and I hope that you hear them as invitation. Be at peace with your soul, then heaven and earth will be at peace with you. Enter eagerly into the treasure house that is within you, and so you will see the things that are in heaven, for there is but one single entry to them both. The ladder that leads to the kingdom is hidden within your soul. 
flee from sin. Dive into yourself and in your soul. You will discover the stairs by which to ascend. The words of Saint Isaac the Syrian from the seventh century. Confession is a way to get at what is inside of you and to discover that the essential element of your faith is not your sin, it is your capacity to love. When I was leaving my sister's place earlier in the last couple weeks after visiting my niece and my nephew, I looked up from the car window and I saw this. Months ago, Jonathan, my spouse, taught Emery, my niece, the sign for I love you. And his family always ends every visit and conversation with the sign. And the reason is that his niece, now a teenager, was born without the ability to hear. So this Bateman family tradition has been grafted into the Sockled family tradition. And without prompting, Emery signs I love you when we say goodbye. And it always surprises me. I forget that she knows this. Emery is not perfect. She's a little cranky between 5 and 6 p.m. She does not sleep through the night like her parents really need her to with a new baby in the house. And she is still learning her manners. But look at this. She knows she's loved. Even her hands communicate the fact. Being loved makes growing and learning and saying I'm sorry possible. We are not perfect, but we're learning, aren't we? So let's keep loving each other through all of it. Please join me in prayer. Loving God, we thank you again for the beauty of poetry, for the wisdom of the saints and the lessons about love that are all around us. As we take a moment to honestly reflect on the matters of our hearts, we ask, is there anything inside of me that needs to get out? Is there an apology I need to make? Is there a story that I need to tell? Is there a feeling that I really need to identify? Jesus, we can traverse all of these difficult places because it's in these places where we will actually find you waiting for us to realize and to encounter an important truth about ourselves and about our stories. We are forgiven, we are loved. So spirit of the living God, present with us now, will you enter all of the places of our woundedness and will you heal us of all that harms us? Amen.